There are certain Beatles photographs that stick in the mind, from the chance snap of the quarrymen playing together on the day John Lennon met Paul McCartney, to Astrid Kirsch's carefully posed art images of the band in Hamburg. In this week's episode, we are joined by the man who took that first picture as a boy in Walton, as well as with Astrid Kirsch's archivist, Vladislav Ginsberg. I'm Laura Davis. And I'm Ellen Kerwin. And this is Beatles City. I was just listening back to your interview with Vlad and um, what I found so interesting was this idea of what an amazing photographer she was and how she could have had this incredible photography art career had it not been for the fact that all her early pictures were about the Beatles and that's kind of what everybody wanted to know about. Yeah and it was actually all by chance that it happened so she was actually going to a gig with her boyfriends at the time and the Beatles just happened to be on and she said it was an instant love she just fell in love with the look of them the sounds of them straight away and she knew that if she was to put all her time and effort into the arts it would be based around the Beatles and she really wanted to mold their image as much as they got on board with her and really wanted her to help them as well and their friendship really comes through as well yeah well they had some really touching moments throughout the careers of the Beatles and and of Astrid's. Um, There was actually a really touching moment when she talked about when her fiancé at the time, um, Stuart Sutcliffe, died. And obviously he was really close with John as well. So there was that really close moment that they shared together. And she actually managed to capture a picture. But I won't go too much into that because that is mentioned on the episode. Yeah, we don't want to spoil it. The contrast between her pictures, which are art pictures really, aren't they? They're very posed and they've been very imitated since. But at the time, that was quite a special, different thing for a pop group. But the contrast between that and Jeff Rand just being a kid with a box camera, taking a quick snap of his mates playing some music, it's, it's quite interesting as well, I think. So when Jeff took that picture of them both in Wilton, at what point did he realize he'd actually taken such a, you know, iconic photograph? Well, I don't think it, t- it was till a lot later because for him, he took that picture because they were his friends in the band. He was um, he went to school with John Lennon. Um, he was really good friends and continues to be really good friends with Rod Davis. I suppose it's really with hindsight. But he said that when he was at school with John Lennon, he could really tell that he was a different personality, that he was had real charisma and that he stood out from the other kids. What I found really interesting was that that was the only photograph that he took and it came out and now it's this incredible piece of social history. So I'm speaking to Jeff Rind, who was a classmate of John Lennon and also took the famous photograph of the quarryman at St. Peter's Church Fate on the day that he met Paul McCartney. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Laura. Thank you for joining us. So do you remember that day clearly? Not really, because it was a long time ago. It was 62 years ago. But certain things stand out in my mind. Like, it was very noisy when the quarrymen were in the lorry driving around the village, you know, and I don't think Walton Village had ever heard anything like that before. And was it a typical day in Walton Village? I mean, obviously, you didn't have the benefit of hindsight to know how significant it would be. Well, not at all, no. I mean, it was just a bunch of lads, mostly from Quarry Bank, you know. Yeah, it was, It was. I mean, it was quite a buzz because in those days there wasn't a great deal of noise and the volume and they, they sounded to me, you know, 
very noisy. Actually, there was a cutting in the Liverpool Echo way back, and the caption was, as I remember, when Walton heard the Mersey sound or something like that, you know? Yeah. And um, I'd actually been to the Quarry Bank Garden Fete earlier on because I, I have this little diary. I've, I've just been looking at it, uh, which has a very short entry in it, Church and School Garden Fetes. And I went with a couple of different friends on each occasion. And all I've put is Skiffle Group, you know? Yeah. Didn't even mention the name or Rod or anything or, or John, you know? That was the way it was then, you know? I imagine there were lots of bands around, were there then? A lot of people playing music on that day. No, just generally. So it was just a band rather than it being a very important band. Well, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. It seems to be pretty new, a pretty new experience at the time. And I mean, Garden Fates in the old days, they, they mainly featured brass bands, you know? Yeah. I mean, so to have these guys playing pop music, skiffle, etc., etc., it was pretty unusual. So what else was going on at the Fate? Can you give us an idea of what it was like? Oh, the usual Garden Fate type things, coconut shies, whatever they're called. Yeah. <laughs> The crowning of the beauty queen, that was, you know, Miss Walton, that was always a, a feature. There would have been a fancy dress parade, I think, although I, I can't remember that, to be honest. When I was younger, I, I used to join in and I would be part of that. What made you take a camera with you? Well, I had been given the camera for my 16th birthday a few weeks previously by my parents and uh, it was a, a bit of a hobby anyway. You know, I was in the habit of taking photographs, but on that particular day, I just took the one shot because that was the way it was. I had to push my way to the, the front to get a good view. That took a bit of courage because it was quite quite crowded. But uh, it, it just worked out incredibly well because you could see all the six quarrymen. The contrast is pretty good, and um, it's, you know... It actually captured a moment in music history, as it, as it turned out. Yeah. And that was the one photograph that you took all day? Just the one, yeah. Two wow. and a quarter square inch negative on, on a 120 roll film. Yeah. Which I knew, what, what were the other, probably 11 exposures, but I, I, I don't think I'll ever know that because I cut the negative up. Uh, okay. so I, I used to process my own photographs and for films, and I just cut it up, you know, kept it just as a one-off. What sort of camera did you have? It was a Kodak Brownie Crester. Okay. Sort of a, a glorified box camera, except if it wasn't a box camera. You looked directly through it, and it was made of black plastic. I actually have a, a copy of it. I don't have the original camera, unfortunately, but I have the, the same make at home. To get given that as a present must have been a big deal for you. It was, yeah. It was quite exciting, really, to uh, be able to test it out. And can you remember what made you take that particular photograph? Oh, well, because I knew John and I knew Rod, of course, Rod being my oldest friend. Mm -hmm. And I, I knew Pete and Eric Griffiths because we were all in the same class at Quarry Bank, you know, so. I was in the habit of taking photographs anyway, but taking a lot of um, landscapes and that kind of stuff. But this was this was a bit different. 
One of the things I really like about the picture is lots of people on it. It's not just the band. You've got people milling around in the front. Yeah. Real yeah. sort of picture of life. I was counting the, 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 the number of people on it, Laura, but there's actually 18. Oh, okay. 12 children <laughs> and, and the six quarrymen. Oh, okay. So it, it's, it's quite remarkable, really. So have you had people come forward and say, that was me? That's happened uh, quite recently. Uh, Rod knows a lot more about that than me. We could never figure out who the quite prominent guy was in the front of the photograph, near the front of the photograph. And he actually made himself known to Rod very recently. That's interesting. And uh, Rod would have known some of them anyway, you know, from from, um, living in Walton Village. Yeah. So, you know, he'd be good at uh, naming the names, which which I actually couldn't do, you know. Yeah. Like my sister was there on that day, but she doesn't appear in the photograph. She, she was a brownie. I like the way there are a couple of girls there in their brownie uniform. It just shows what a community day it yeah. was, not a, not a, yeah. an important historic yeah. day. Yeah, there's a lot going on. And I, I don't know whether you know this, but um, it's almost an action shot insofar as if you... If you look at the hands and the strings, you can see that it's, it's kind of blurry, you know. So yeah. You kind of get the impression that, yeah, there's live music being played. Yeah. And, I mean, obviously at the time you didn't expect it to have that significance, but you kept it. You kept it as an image. Yeah, well, you know, uh, I, looking back, I, I must have been pretty casual about it because I, I didn't unearth it until about... Seven years later, I would guess around 1964, mm-hmm. and the Beatles, you know, would have been pretty prominent at that stage, to say the least. And I thought, oh, wait a minute, I've got that, that photograph, and I, I dug it out, and I sent it off to the Liverpool Echo, and the Liverpool Echo printed it, mm-hmm. and it's it's been printed ever since, and you know, it's been all over the place. Yeah, it's in nearly every Beatles book, I think. It's always appearing. Yeah. So you knew John, you'd known, I know you were at Quarry Bank with him, weren't you, from the age of 11, but were you at Sunday school with him before that? Yeah, but you know, I can't really remember the Sunday school thing very clearly, but I, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that John and, and Pete were, were there at the same time. So can you remember your first impressions of John when you, when you saw him at Quarry Bank, I suppose? That's, that's, that's a question. I, I, I really can't, but we would have started off, as far as I, I'm concerned, around about the age of 11, when we were both in, in uh, first year at Quarry Bank Grammar School. Mm-hmm. We were in 1R class, or mm-hmm. form, as I remember. And then it was 2B, then we sort of kind of slipped down to 3C, and then, we, then 4C, then 5C. We remained in the same class for the uh, the five years yeah. we were at Quarry Bank. And can you um, give us a, a flavour of what it was like going to school at Quarry Bank? Well, it was it was a, a good school. I can't say it was the happiest time of my life, but it was it was interesting. It was um, it was well located. The masters, the teachers, were pretty good, generally speaking. And uh, my favourite subject would have been art. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it would have been the same with John. Um, we actually used to sit next to each other in, in, in art class. Yeah. Because it was one of the things that we were good at. And I also did woodwork, which John didn't. In fact, he, he thought it was a bit of a joke because his friend Pete Charlton took woodwork and um, he, he used to sort of make, make fun of the subject. But anyway, we, Pete and I 
enjoyed the woodwork classes as well. <laughs> and uh, you sort of you hear a lot about what John Lennon was like back then, but how would you describe him? Oh, he was a complicated mixture. I, I would say he was um, he was definitely the the, the, the leader, the the, uh, the trendsetter. Very funny. Could be cruel sometimes. Mm-hmm. Not not with me, but sometimes with uh, other students, and occasionally even even with other teachers. Mm-hmm. So you could say he stood out a mile, you know. Yeah. Probably heard that he had a, a, an exercise book filled with um, jokes, cartoons, drawings, etc., which which was passed around the class and regularly confiscated. I think by the by the teachers. Yeah. So you could tell then that he was different to other people. He stood out a mile, but you could hardly predict that he he would take it as far as he did. And then you were, you both went on to the Liverpool School of Art, didn't you? After that, well, actually, no, um, John did, but I I was in the College of Print, which was actually within the School of Art. Okay, but that's actually the last time I met him was in in the College of Art where he was um, standing outside the principal's office, as far as I can remember, and he was in trouble. And we had a brief chat. We, we were being glared at by one of, one of the other teachers. And in the end, he said, I think you better go, Jeff. And <laughs> that, that was it. That was the last time I, I actually ever spoke to him. Gosh. It's, it's a good memory, though. It's, it's a very sort of John Lennon moment, I'd say. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, it was before, it would have been before they um, they really took off as the Beatles. I, I wish I could put a year on that, you know. Mm-hmm. I'd guess maybe we were around 20, but that that, that, that may not be right. You know? mm-hmm. So then you moved to Ireland in the late 60s and, you, and you're a full-time painter now? I moved to Ireland in the summer of 1968, yeah, mm-hmm. as a printer, lithographic printer or proofer, uh, intending to stay for maybe one year, move on to London, Edinburgh, Nottingham, wherever. And I, I, I just got used to being in Ireland, being in Dublin. I, 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 I've been there ever since. It suits you then? The Irish, the sort of Irish life, the Irish temperament suits you? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think, uh, I like to think that I have um, maybe a bit of Irish ancestry on my mother's side and and uh, a bit of Scottish ancestry on my father's side. You know, my name, Ryan, is Scottish. So mm-hmm. I like to think that I'm a bit of a mixture of the two. And do you come back to Liverpool much? Uh, my sister still lives in Liverpool. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I don't travel as much as I used to, so it would be about once a year I would go back and, and stay with her. Am I right in thinking that you were here for the anniversary of Walton Fate? Yeah, I've actually done that since Rod reformed the Quarrymen uh, a few decades ago, and I, I think I've been uh, on each occasion, mm-hmm. the last one being two years ago, uh, 2017. What does it feel like going, sort of having that commemoration? What does it feel like going back? It's a tricky one because once you leave your hometown or your, 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 your country, you, you never really know where you belong anymore. So it's, it's kind of a, I have mixed feelings about it, you know, but then I always did, if I'm honest, you know, about Liverpool, you know, it was always a bit of a, a bit of a love-hate relationship mm-hmm. with Liverpool. 
Yeah. Oh. Well, thank you so much, Jeff. That was really interesting. Thanks for sharing your memories with us. It's a pleasure, Laura. Thanks so much for speaking to me today, Vlad. I'd love to know how you know Astrid. Well, I've always known who she was, but I encountered uh, the sale for photographs somewhat accidentally. It was, you know, at this point, wow, it was about eight years ago, I was in an auction house discussing a piece of business with the owner. And, you know, as I was preparing to leave, the boxes and cases full of Astrid's photographs were being shipped in, right, and being delivered uh, right then as Astrid and that auction house were preparing to auction off her works. So it was sort of happenstance, even though I knew who she was, that I should have been in the right place at the right time about two months before our scheduled auction. And what was it like? I mean, when you found out that was, you know, was an excitement? Was it a rush for you? Obviously, she's a renowned Beatles photographer and yourself being an art dealer, you must have known, you know, this is a really big deal. Well, yeah, of course. Uh, even, you know, the owner of the auction house thought, well, you know, you're awfully young. How do you know who this is? And I'm like, hey, she's like, everybody knows who this is. And what was actually quite shocking to me was that uh, they were preparing to split up all of her works, as well as splitting up copyrights to individual negatives to get ready for an auction. So it kind of got my uh, my gears turning right then in my head to think, well, you know, maybe it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So what was your next move when you found out their intentions? And obviously you had your own intentions to make sure you got your hands on them. Oh, um, you know, it, it was genuinely just a stroke of curiosity. You know, it, it was just, you know, sometimes you just have to ask the question. Is this auction set in stone? Like, would the photographer even consider selling the collection altogether as, as one lot? What would that even look like? Would she be willing to uh, send over her copyright? What, you know, what, you know, what would that all really look like? The auction house back channeled to Astrid's lawyer and her manager. And I don't think she was super interested at first. Mm-hmm. But um, once I wrote my intentions of what I wanted to do with the archive to Astrid in a letter, I think she understood, well, it wasn't just like, you know, some collector that was interested in putting all these things in a vault somewhere. Uh, There was a plan to show these works to the world. And so what is it that you said to her, that you wrote to her? How do you think you won her over? Well, that's, that's a good question. What I think I assumed was that she would be thrilled that her archive would stay together under one roof and that, you know, somebody else would be handling the business of exhibitions and, and print sales and things like that. And, you know, she'd, you know, she'd be still on board and approving everything. I sort of, in my naivety assumed naivety, sorry, uh, that she'd be thrilled about that. And actually I was kind of surprised that Astra was a bit apprehensive at first, I think initially she really did want to just sell these things and be rid of them uh, and enjoy her old age without being known as like, quote unquote, the Beatles photographer. And so when you found out, you know, you did actually end up working with her when you found out that you were going to be able to get your hands on them. What was that process like? When we closed, like signed the contract, money was paid, items were collected, the whole nine yards. Uh, we were doing that really in the storage area of the auction house while one of the news networks in New York was setting up in 
the front part of the auction house getting ready to do an interview with the owner about the auction. So when the, eventually when the auction was called off, uh, it actually sent quite a ripple because it was just days, maybe three days before the auction was supposed to happen. Folks had flown in to New York to participate in the auction. You know, I think the bigger story at the time than there being a single buyer that canceled the auction was that the auction was even allowed to be canceled so close. So in the meantime, you know, have would you say you've got a relationship now with Astrid or you actually work quite closely with her? Would you say that's true? Yeah, I think so. Uh, at this point, you know, Astrid is, she's quite elderly. She's, her health is her main concern as it is mine. She, I think there's a level of trust that she has that I'm doing the right thing, mm-hmm. so to speak, with her archive, uh, which I think is um, something that was earned over time when... I first met Astrid, you know, there was a little bit of like, wait a minute, like, who is this guy and what does he think he's doing? And Astrid was really very involved in the first days. She is still very involved. I shouldn't say that she's not. But in the in the first days, I mean, we would try printing photos that maybe she didn't love to print back in the 70s or 80s. But, you know, we looked at the archives and felt, wow, this is amazing. Uh, why haven't people seen this image? And we would print it and then we would show it to her for signing. And then she would just say, absolutely not. Even if you wanted to use this image and I wouldn't for these reasons, uh, you've printed it all wrong. And even, you know, it's, it's one thing, I'll put it this way. It's one thing academically to have read and studied a lot about Astrid and know on an intellectual level that she's a master of the darkroom. And that's where she really shines in the darkroom. But it's a, whole, it's a whole different thing in practice when you try to print her own photographs on a different continent. Um, and even though I felt that I selected the very best printmakers in, you know, in the United States, you realize what it means to deal with somebody who's such an expert in the darkroom where I sent over an image that I thought was amazing and she gave me back a laundry list of things that were just done incorrectly to her taste and things that my eye couldn't even pick up. So after a bit of trial and error, I really was like, you know what? She is the artist. Uh, she, these works are a piece of her. And it would behoove both myself, the collectors of the artworks, and really everybody that's interested in them, that I really do things her way. So we started printing the photographs in Hamburg. Uh, and I started traveling to Hamburg quite often to oversee printing. And I really took the time to take a step back and not be so concerned in where's the next exhibition, where's the next, what's the next book, what's the next print sale, et cetera. And instead really try to take a step back and learn what makes an Astrid photograph an Astrid photograph and not just a photo of the Beatles. Exactly. So did you find that with some of her pictures, you know, you, what you would say is an incredible picture, you know, you thought it was brilliant, but do you think sometimes maybe the story behind it or the particular moment in which she took it would almost sway what she thought about it and, you know, the story behind it, would that make, would that ever come into conversation or would that ever be a motivation for what she'd done with the picture? Yes and no. Right. So, yes, in terms of her early photographs. Mm-hmm. So with her early photographs, and these are the most famous, right? It's the famous Hugo Hasse train shot with um, all five of the Thomas Over Beatles. There is a cool story there, but it's really more uh, biographical mm-hmm. about Astrid, about how she came to meet the Beatles. You know, she, she saw them in a nightclub that Astrid 
wouldn't go to. This was like not somewhere that she'd be hanging out. It was a little bit too grungy for her. But um, her boyfriend, Klaus Warman, insisted. And she says it was just love at first sight. They were so beautiful. And even though she didn't speak English, they didn't speak German, they found a way to communicate, like, meet me here at this place at this time tomorrow. You know, the Beatles would play until like 6 a.m. And those photos were taken at like 1030. You know, they're, those photos, you know, they're, they, they just played a, a whole night in, um, in Hamburg. So all that stuff is really interesting uh, from, you know, a Beatles fan standpoint, a history fan standpoint. But it doesn't really have anything to do with the photography itself. That was Astrid posing her subjects in a setting. So in that sense, not as much. But if you jump forward two years... Uh, where she and the members of the Beatles are already incredibly close. And her fiancé, Stu Sutcliffe, had just passed away. The members of the band at that point were on a hiatus from Hamburg in Liverpool. So they arrived back to Hamburg where Stu Sutcliffe had stayed with Astrid and was living and working with Astrid and working in her parents' attic as a studio. He's a painter. Stu had left the band to paint and, you know, Barry Astrid, the band had returned from Liverpool to continue playing in Hamburg and learned of Stu's death. So naturally, John Lennon, who was his best friend, and George Harrison, who was also pretty close to him, uh, they wanted to see the studio and workspace of their close friend who had just passed. So they came to Ashford's parents' house and Ashford escorted them to the attic, which was his studio. And it was not a moment for photography, to say the least. You know, it was a, it was a very somber moment. And John and George were quite understandably distraught from the emotion and the loss they had suffered. So... Again, not a moment for photography. This is not something that she was like hoping to capture. But it's important to note that Stu Sutcliffe and John are best friends since art school. And Astra was a little bit older than them, but they were generally in the same age range. George Harrison at the time was a baby. Uh, he was still a teenager. I mean, in, in terms of real years, the age difference wasn't massive. But, you know, it's different when, you know, your friends are in their 20s and you're a teenager. George was really always like the kid brother in the group. And Astrid was like, okay, these friends of mine, my boyfriend, Stu, and my friend, John, and Paul, and and Pete, best even. But um, George was like the kid brother of the group. So they're in this attic, and they're crying. They're having a very emotional moment. Uh, John is so overwhelmed with the emotion of the moment that he sits down in a chair and is just really sobbing. And George comes up behind him and is not sobbing, but is actually putting his arms around John and reassuring him and really kind of being strong for him. So Astrid grabs her camera in that moment, not because she saw an opportunity for a classically beautiful shot, but she did grab her camera because at this moment, she, with her eyes for the first time, saw George Harrison not as, like, a teenage boy, but a man. And, of course, it's Astrid, right? So even in a candid moment like that, it ended up being an absolutely gorgeous photograph, right? They're in a dark, damp studio with one light source coming off from the right side. So the John and George in their black 
leathers just you know it's the the light is playing off their leather jackets really well the way that she captured uh george standing behind john was just sort of really well structured somehow this candid moment became this phenomenal photograph and it's actually and and astrid has told me in person over the years that that is her favorite photograph and i think uh, that's an example of a photograph where the story makes the photo uh, mm-hmm. more so than anything else. You know, there, you know, there are 4,000 negatives in all sorts of scenes, but I think um, the attic shots from 1962 and the, um, the first photographs from 1960 are really the most poignant. Yeah. And when you speak to Astrid about these photographs, are, are there any other particular moments or times she's mentioned, particularly about her time with the Beatles that have struck you and, you know, you found are really poignant? The important thing, I think, with the Beatles is that it's not really about the Beatles, even though it is. To her, they were never the Beatles. It was really her friends. And there's something so authentic about that. Because the band changed, the people changed, the years changed, but Astrid really didn't. And Hamburg, in all the ways that it's changed, really hasn't. So, you know, to see Astrid um, now in Hamburg, you know, she spends time at uh, at Gibbo's Pub, who, you know, and Gibson Kemp, that was uh, somebody that drummed for the Beatles after Pete Best had left, or before Ringo Starr started playing. Um, you know, it's, it's about more than the Beatles. It's, uh, it was really her family and friends and those are her family and friends. Um, and they, and to this day, it remains kind of who she is. I think that association with the band was so incredibly meaningful, but, and I say this cautiously, but the last museum exhibition that I produced with her manager, Caillou Vifranz, and the book that accompanied that exhibition published by Damiani. I think that something from a curatorial standpoint we took a look at, uh, and the, to answer your question about her relationship with the Beatles, is, you know, you never begrudge who became your friends and you never begrudge who you fell in love with. And she fell in love with Stu Sutcliffe and the Beatles members were truly her friends. But having said that before she met them before that fateful night, when she met them in the Raper bond and then took photos of them the next day, she was a protege of the world famous photographer, Reinhard Wolf. And she was studying photography in his studio and it was for no other reason that Reinhard Wolf saw in Astrid an absolute star. And this was at a time in the late 50s that women were not photographers. It was really sort of mold breaking that she had this powerhouse talent that uh, a powerhouse like Reinhard Wolf, who was her uh, instructor at art school, was like, Hey, I, you know, you got to come be my protege. Like you're truly a rising star. I guess what our exhibition in the book sort of wonders aloud is we're looking at pictures of the Beatles, but if you take away who the Beatles are, we're looking at absolutely stunning photographs. Now, if she hadn't met the Beatles, 
And let's say she, instead of those years photographing them, she continued studying under Reinhard Wolf. And uh, her exhibitions weren't about the Beatles, but they were about whatever else she wanted to be photographing. Could Astrid have been Cindy Sherman? Could Astrid have been not the first woman, but could Astrid have been one of these second half 20th century females that broke the mold and were producing artwork as compelling, if not more compelling, than her male counterparts? When Astrid met the Beatles, she took their photos and they were stunning photos. But when Beatlemania exploded, the magazines, the art trades, etc., they wanted Beatles access. They didn't want photographs. So we wonder, you know, we she loves the Beatles and they and the Beatles truly loved her. And that was a really meaningful friendship. But we wonder in some of these recent exhibitions, was the ensuing Beatlemania, did it derail uh, what could have been an otherwise uh, meteoric career? And we don't know, obviously, we'll never know, but we urge the viewers of the photographs to enjoy these amazing shots of the young Beatles, but also take the Beatles out of the equation and enjoy spectacular black and white photography.